Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone else was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, and he went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him, Sir, uh, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and then and tie them in the bundle to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now we're going to go to verses 36, where this parable is explained by Jesus. Then he left the crowd and he went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out his kingdom, everything that causes sin in all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. These are the very words of, of God. You know, I remember as a kid... I had a couple of responsibilities all summer long, and um, it just seemed like they were really hard when I was a kid. Uh, number one, I had to mow the lawn, and it took me about two and a half hours every week uh, to do that. We had a big yard. My dad was very fastidious about his lawn, and uh, I learned how to fertilize and uh, weed and all that kind of stuff at an early age. The second thing was I was responsible for weeding the garden. We had all kinds of plants in there, uh, tomatoes and corn and uh, just beans, all kinds of things. And I remember one time we were having family devotions at, at our, our dinner, evening meal, and uh, Dad, my dad read devotions from Matthew 13, and I heard this passage, and I just stopped him in my tracks. I said, the servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull the weeds up? And uh, no, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds up, you may uproot the wheat with them. And I said, Dad, it's right here in the Bible. Jesus is telling his disciples not to pull up any weeds. Well, my dad did not think much of my self-serving use of the scripture uh, on that occasion, and I don't think I really understood at that time what this particular passage meant. Um, and you know, when you first look at this passage today, the first thing that uh, I think we're tempted to do is to find some mysterious hidden truth that lies somewhere between the wheat and the weeds and what they stand for in this judgment. What is, what is Jesus trying to tell us? And, and then uh, the fact that Jesus says to let the weeds and the wheat grow right along together, it, it seems quite strange. But the thing I think that Jesus really wants us to get from this story is it's not about the farming practice of letting the weeds grow but rather, I think that Jesus wants us to understand the problem in this passage that needs to be solved 
is the overzealousness of the servants of Jesus, or the servants of the master here, so to speak, in this passage, is their desire to cleanse the field of the weeds that are present. You know, one of the things that I have always celebrated, I've been in Evergreen for 17 years, one of the things that I've always celebrated about the spirituality of Evergreen, and I think it's been represented so well in your acceptance of our recovery ministry here throughout the years, uh, is the essential value of acceptance, of letting people come to our community as they are. And as people experiencing acceptance, then challenging them to become passionate followers of Jesus. Uh, and this is a really fun text. I think we're going to enjoy uh, hearing it. It's a great story. The master planted the wheat. And it should be noted that Jesus is making very clear that this is a reference to himself. Because during the day of Jesus, a master would not plant seeds if he owned a field, because that was the servant's occupation. Uh, they, they served the landowner, and the servants would be the ones, literally, uh, you know, that would plant the wheat. And so the wheat begins to grow, so do the weeds. And the servants see the weeds, they run to the master, and they say, hey, who did this? The master said, well, I, I have an enemy, and this enemy must have come during the night, and he planted the weeds, and the weeds have grown up with the crops. Well, the first reaction of the servants of the master is they is cleanliness and purity. Uh, and they want to be seen as A plus number one followers of Jesus. And they want to just purify the field. And they said, hey, we'll go and we'll, shall we go and we'll, we'll clean them up. And there's a sense of urgency in their question. Like, hey, this needs to happen. This needs to happen right now. And I think to our surprise, the master says, no. Let the weeds and the wheat grow together. Now, the reason Jesus said no is that the type of weed that he's talking about in this story is a strange weed. You see, the, the weed would grow, grow in, it would grow through, and it would grow around the wheat stalk. And therefore, um, if you had a desire to purge the field of the weeds... Uh, and any of the weeds that you would pull up from this field would do great damage to the wheat. And so the harvest would literally be ruined before it even had a chance to, to ripen. And so the master said, no, let the weeds grow. Now, here's the truth. Uh, the sowing of the bad seeds probably decreased some of the wheat's fruit-bearing potential. But one of the things it didn't do is it didn't destroy most of the, of the harvest. It, yes, it created an inconvenience for the owner, but even with the weeds in the field, the owner is still going to reap a very decent and good harvest, so to speak. And so, friends, I think the meaning of the teaching here for the followers of Jesus is very clear, is that believers, as they live in this world, they are not assigned to be the weed pullers of the world. Jesus' followers are not assigned the task of being the hand sanitizers of the world. I want you to notice verse 38 as Jesus explains the meaning of the parable. He says, the field is the world, and that this field, this world belongs to him. Boy, that's great theology. We confess this everywhere. Like in Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. As the owner of the field, he's 
perfectly capable of tending to it himself if he needs to do that. So now the, the more we think about it, as Jesus explains the meaning of this parable, he states um, very simply uh, that the good seed that the master planted represents the sons and daughters of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons and daughters of the evil one, and they were planted at night. So Jesus' expectation is that in this world right now, the weed and the wheat are going to dwell together. Jesus' expectation is that this seed, uh, his seed, his, his offspring, the wheat that he has planted, will not see it as their mission uh, as to somehow try and eradicate the weeds to somehow drive out the weeds, to drive away the weeds, to get rid of the bad seed. You see, friends, uh, this is, I think, I think this is the kind of text that begs us to build our philosophy of ministry upon. This is really, uh, this, is, th this is really good stuff. It's powerful stuff. It's radical stuff. You see, what Jesus is doing in his world, according to this teaching, is that he is planting his people as witnesses, ambassadors, and healers in this world. You see, yes, judgment's coming. A final day is coming where the wheat is going to be separated from the chaff. All of that's coming. But in this meantime, while we're here, the followers of Jesus uh, aren't by accident living among the weeds. They have been intentionally placed by Jesus. Uh, they're not called from. They're not called to separate from. But instead of running away from, boy, the followers of Jesus, they know the weeds. The followers of Jesus, they even care about the weeds. The followers of Jesus, they, they even serve some of the weeds. And, and you know what? I, I, think, I think the followers of Jesus say some crazy things like this. I think they even, they, they even say to some of the weeds, um, hey, man, you should come and visit our house uh, because we have this master named Jesus, and he is so cool, and his love is, is so awesome. And, and you know what, Mr. Weed, I, I don't think Jesus cares if you are a rose or you are a crabgrass or you are a dandelion. I think Jesus would just love it if you would come to his house. And I want to ask you, friends, do you think the weeds of this world would love to hear an invitation like that? You know, however, if the disciples of Jesus are salivating weed pullers and make it their mission and their vision to root out the weeds, you know, they're going to destroy the wheat in the process. And I think the implication here and the truth is that the servants of Jesus can very easily become more destructive to the wheat than the devil himself. You see, in this parable, it's, it's not the weeds and, and the wheat that are the spiritual sickness that Jesus is addressing. Rather, Jesus is addressing uh, impatient hand sanitizers represented by the master's servants. They think that they know for sure what the, their Lord wants, but their actions would be more destructive than the presence of the weeds in the world. 1 Peter 8 and 9 says it beautifully, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some understand slowness, but he's patient. He's patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come 
to repentance. You see, Jesus has a marvelous plan of redemption, and he has placed us here to be salt and light and witness as ambassadors of his love. You see, in, in his ministry, Jesus did not weed out Judas from the twelve. He knew ahead of time of Judas's betrayal, but he, he didn't weed him out. Jesus did not weed out Peter from the twelve, and, and he knew Peter was going to betray him. Um, in fact, Jesus didn't weed out his disciples. He knew all of them were going to flee in fear, and, and, uh, and, and he knew he doesn't weed us out, and he knows that we fail him uh, with regularity. And, um, you know, and from time to time, we try to clean up our act and, and, or the act of other people, and, and it, doesn't, it, it just doesn't work. And, and the history of the church, contemporary and throughout the centuries, is of many disasters of people and groups trying to purify the church or the culture. Let's get rid of the dead wood and let's only go with the committed people. And such attempts usually end up with a people that look more like the people that crucified Jesus than the disciples that followed Jesus. An editorial by Bill McNabb in a Christian periodical a few years ago briefly elaborated on this idea. He said, God, it seems, has never had much trouble with his enemies. It's his friends who cause him the most trouble. Uh, so many at our celebration today are celebrating finding new life because of the friends of Jesus inviting them to this place. In his book, Connecting, Larry Crabb writes this beautiful story. I just like to kind of read it for you and tell it to you at the same time. Uh, a friend of mine was raised in an angry family. Mealtimes were either silent or sarcastically noisy. Down the street was an old-fashioned house with a big porch where a happy family lived. My friend told me that when he was about 10, he began excusing himself from the dinner table so uh, as soon as he could without being yelled at and walking to the old-fashioned house down the street. When he arrived during dinner time, he would crawl under the porch and just lie there, listening to the beautiful sounds of laughter. When he told me this story, I asked him to imagine what it would have been like if the father of that house somehow knew he was huddled beneath the porch, and he sent his son to invite him in. I asked him to envision what it would have meant to him to accept the invitation to sit at the table, to accidentally spill his glass of water and hear the father roar with delight, get him some more water in a dry shirt. I want him to enjoy his meal. Crab goes on to say, the world needs to hear the laughter of our heavenly father through the lives of the people that profess to follow him. Oh, my friends, of Evergreen Ministries. The world needs to hear our church family roar with laughter and delight. I believe the hurt and the broken and the lost are longing deeply for that kind of a connection with the community and with God. And uh, I want to just say thank you, Evergreen, uh, for this time of celebration. You have been healed and you have helped so many heal in the future. And as we, we celebrate this year, we are grateful for the way God has used our communi community. And, and we just pray fervently God's Spirit will bless us and flow upon us to, 
uh, continue our ministry going forward. Amen.